Hello and you're very welcome to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. The Lens is a business in the community podcast in partnership with One Young World. So let's move on to our brilliant guests today. I'm delighted to introduce to you the Vice President of EMEA at Snap and Morgan Hewitt, the co-founder and CEO of Options MD and also a One Young World Ambassador. In this episode, we'll be exploring responsible digital innovation and we'll be looking at how a business that runs one of the biggest social media platforms, Snapchat, is empowering people to express themselves. We'll be finding out how it takes its responsibility seriously in developing and delivering a digital resource used by more than 306 million people across the world. And we'll also see how one of our guests developed her digital business based on her family's experience of mental health and discovering just how much digital innovation is needed in this space. Claire, first of all, let's uh, start with you. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your career to date right up to Snapchat. Well, thank you for having me. If I think about my career, there's definitely two constants that seem to be part that sort of make up my career journey. One is um, my curiosity and obsession with people and behaviour. And the other is, without realising it, it just seemed to happen at being at the forefront of innovation and, and technology driving that change. And I think it's been that intersection for me of people and technology and how you see when technology gets it right, really positive impact um, on society. And when I think about my career and I think about the companies I've worked at from Mindshare, which is um, a media agency, which I joined when the internet was a new phenomenon, dare I say it, helping brands navigate that space to O2, which was really the first time I really understood the power of data and understanding customer behavior. And then, of course, joined Facebook at the beginning of social media. And then Snapchat came calling. It was quite obvious Snapchat was really building something different, um, really trying to sort of change the behavior of communication fundamentally and actually was set up as an antidote to social media and uh, six years on I am still here and proud to be at the forefront of those changes. Absolutely brilliant and Morgan you're dialing in today from Los Angeles so thank you so much. Please share with our listeners a little bit about who you are for those of us who don't know and what your career has looked like so far. I've always worked at the intersection between healthcare and technology. I'm so happy to see Claire here today because we actually overlapped at Facebook. When I was at Facebook, I worked on their healthcare team, meaning that I helped some of the world's largest um, healthcare as well as government organizations use social media to educate people about diseases and get them access to new and innovative drugs and clinical trials. At the same time, my family was suffering. I was watching one of my siblings go through a mental health crisis where he was trying medication after medication to stop his suicidal thoughts and nothing was working. And that's what eventually led me to quit my corporate career and start my company, Options MD, where we work with the most severe and treatment-resistant cases of mental illness. And we use technology and software to help these patients get access to new and cutting-edge treatments. So it's actually a deeply personal story that has launched this business. Was that a big leap of faith at the time? Did you really know what you were getting yourself into? Or did you feel that you'd had enough experience to date and enough personal experience to know 
what it would be like to be an end user or a family of an end user of a product? Yeah, there's there's some things that you don't want to do in life, but you just, you have to do or the universe is telling you to do. And that's how I feel about my company. Technology has come such a far way. I'm so passionate about data and artificial intelligence. And when I was at Facebook, most of my friends were on the data analytics team and they were using artificial intelligence to better predict which advertisement somebody would click on. And I thought, why can we not use the same technology to help people like my brother better predict which medication would work for them. And at the same time, really interesting research was coming out of research institutions such as Yale, where they were developing treatment matching algorithms for mental illness, but nobody was doing it in a scalable, corporate, profitable way. And so that's what kind of forced me into this industry and led me to launching the company. And now just a year and a half later, we're working with thousands of patients with severe illnesses, helping them better learn about treatment options and getting them faster access to higher performing care. Wow, fantastic achievement. Claire, let's um, come back to you. What did you really love about Snapchat that you thought, I, I really have to give this a go? So I will answer what I love about it, but I think it's worth tackling what is Snapchat because I'm assuming some of your listeners may not be using it all the time. Um, and I think those what is Snapchat really does help explain what I love. Um, Snapchat is essentially an app and people are using it to talk to their close friends and they're using video and pictures to do that. It's because it enables you to speak or communicate in a really fast way. I always use the example of I had to describe um, what I'm wearing versus just taking a snap, a picture. It's a lot quicker. The other element that is very different is that I talk about this antidote to social media because we did have the benefit. Snapchat's 10 years old. When we built the app, we could see social media was becoming more of that pressured environment. So when we built Snap, which was about this close friends communication tool, we made sure, you know, there was no public likes, comments. You may have heard, which a lot of people talk about, that messages delete by default. Mm -hmm. That's actually quite important because what it means is, you know, if you record what you're saying to your friend, it would change what you say. And actually, it means the conversation is more like a real life conversation. I think as I have got older and I am a mum, working for a company that has got these values of focusing on your privacy, safety, having a positive experience for our community really matters. Like it matters to me and it matters in terms of what I do day to day. If you look at some of the things that we've built, whether it's um, a stories format, which the whole industry has essentially adopted this concept of creating a sort of diary version of, of your day to send to your friends or spectacles, which are sunglasses with built-in video. And, and then um, I can't not talk about, and no doubt we will talk about this augmented reality. It's something I'm so passionate about and it's something Snapchat has been building and working on for a long time. But the idea that I can make the physical, the real world more exciting by essentially layering on the digital experience onto my real world experience is amazing. And I am going to reveal my shopping habit, but I love to shop. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea that when I'm buying something online, which is a mum of three is very important because I need efficiency in my life. But I can then have that physical experience I get in a shop in my home by essentially putting the camera up and trying on a dress and seeing what it looks like on me. And that is technology adding value to someone's life and changing behaviour for the better. And I think the last thing, which is I do day to day, is working with lots of partners like brands 
to derive value for their business. So I think the, the big thing I think we're going to see, and I, and this is where I'm incredibly passionate, is this the concept of really of AI. I think people get confused. Is this idea of this physical, the real world being connected to the digital world. And I think where digital has gone wrong in the past is separating itself from the real world. Wow. And that can be actually quite challenging for society when that happens. Morgan, let's let's go back to you now. Um, you talked there about benefiting thousands of people in choosing that correct type of treatment um, for their mental health issue, which I suppose just sums up the world that there's not really one size fits all, that everybody is different. Um, how much convincing did you have to do of, say, pharma companies, of medical professionals that AI or that technology could perhaps be the answer here? I'm actually so inspired by what what Claire just mentioned about how Snapchat is using augmented reality to be able to help people try before they buy. In a lot of ways, we're trying to do the same thing, but when it comes to healthcare. So first off, mental illness is a huge problem. I think that everybody knows this, but just so that you, you understand the numbers, mental illness affects about a quarter of all adults worldwide. Out of those quarter of adults, one third of people will get better by themselves without even needing treatment. Certain things can get better on its own. A third of people will respond to what we call first line treatments. These are things like a common antidepressant or talk therapy. And then a third of people will be called by doctors as treatment refractory, also known as treatment resistant. This means that they will continuously try different drugs and treatments and nothing will seem to work. This group of patients was previously treated almost like guinea pigs, similarly to before Snapchat and augmented reality, we would shop online, we buy a bunch of stuff, have no clue if it's going to fit, if it's going to look good, and it comes to our house and we're like, okay, shoot, it doesn't work, I have to return it all. And unfortunately, our bodies were also being treated the same way. Both patients and doctors were just trying different medications and seeing what would fit. But we're so lucky to now be in 2022 and we no longer have to do that. We're able to use massive, massive data sets that are larger than the world has ever seen. We're able to see which demographics respond better to medications. We're able to test people's sensitivity for side effects. And we're also able to take into account practical factors that help people respond to different treatments over the other. And so now companies like my own are using technology to predict not only pharmaceutically your uh, physical response to a medication, but also how well that treatment will fit into your lifestyle and be a practical fit for you. And I suppose just to protect patients as well, um, I'm sure an awful lot of safeguarding and a lot of governance is involved. You obviously take this extremely seriously. Taking the wrong medication can have serious implications on a person's uh, outcome and, and recovery. Yes, this is something that has been weaved into the DNA of my company. It is a privilege for any patient to give us their data, and it's our responsibility to protect it. Claire talked about the importance of just even being able to have a conversation that's deleted. Um, For us, right, it's extremely important that we, after collecting a patient's data, always give them the option to completely delete it um, if that's what they choose. 
one thing that's really important to us also is being able to reward patients. So nobody should ever feel like they're giving us their data and it's going into a black hole and they didn't get anything from it. Every single data point we use to give our patients personalized education around their treatment options, they never have to pay anything for personalized education around their treatment options. And they only uh, start to pay if they do decide to want to get treated by our doctors on our platform. If not, they can take what they learned and use it in however they wish. My company also does have a community element. We keep that community completely separate from the healthcare data that we collect from patients. And the reason why is because in that community, we want people to be able to speak freely, speak either from themselves or also speak anonymously, and to be able to ask other patients and doctors um, questions that are quite personal um, about their own health or their personal situations. Now, the thing is, you're you're joining us, of course, from uh, America, from uh, L.A., uh, people will be tuning in, no doubt, from all over the world where different healthcare uh, structures uh, are in place. Do you see any crossover? Have you had any introductions to the NHS? Could this make a GP's life easier and assist in getting the right diagnosis and outcome for the patient? One thing that we have seen is that people, ironically, are more willing to give much more details about their personal situations online than they often are sitting face-to-face in a doctor's office. That has been one thing that that our doctors have really appreciated about our platform, is that in a conversational way, we're able to talk to patients and to be able to extract data from patients in a way that they feel safe and protected, and for that data to be used by their doctors to make more informed treatment decisions. Um, My own family spent hundreds of thousands of US dollars on mental illness treatment um, out of pocket. And that's a very common situation here in the US. So as a company, we really focus on helping patients reduce their overall cost of care. Um, luckily, that is still still a concern in the UK, but not as much of a concern, which actually would give us flexibility, more flexibility in the types of treatments that we could offer patients. Claire, could I bring you back in at this point? Um, Morgan was talking there very much about the community and that uh, nurturing and looking after of a community. Um, would you say those values exist also in SNAP? I think it just, it's part, I think uh, Morgan used the phrase part of the DNA. I think when you um, have 306 million people on your platform every day you have a responsibility to look after them and it's the thing as a company we spend most of our time focused on because it is the, the core of the business i talked about um obviously privacy um and safety and creating a positive experience and so maybe give you a couple of examples of, of how we do that but because we're a platform that is about close friends, we don't want just people to talk to anyone. It's really important that they're in a safe environment. So for someone to even message you, you have to accept them as a friend. You can't easily find people unless, you know, if you don't know them. And that's, that's really important. And those, it sounds like a simple and obvious thing, but it's incredibly important. Or um, another example, I don't think it's just about protecting. I think it's also about empowering people to to be armed with information. I think another example is Morgan just gave us those extraordinary stats of how many people are suffering uh, with mental health. Um, And for us, you know, we want to be part 
we want to be there for our community to support them. And we created a service called Here For You. And if people were having a moment where they're feeling anxious and they typed in anxious, we partnered with organisations like the Samaritans and it would give you advice and tactics to support you. And I think that's really, really important that you don't just protect your community, but you serve them when they need you. And And I think that's something we really try and take feedback on and provide that type of support. There's that fine line, isn't there, about being digitally connected all the time as opposed to not having that face-to-face? And, you know, what boundaries exist? At what point do you do you maybe intervene if somebody's on too much? Is that something that you feel you have responsibility over? And I'm not just talking about young people, but I suppose... Um, well, actually, what is the demographic? How, what, what sort of age are your users? If you look at globally, 70% of them are 13 to 24. But clearly, equally, they're, they're aging up as the business is growing. Is it true that 95% of your users say that Snapchat makes them feel happy? Yes, it is true. I think it goes back to spending time with your close friends makes you happy. But that's the essence of the platform. And and we work really hard um, to make sure that experience continues to be a positive one and equally tackle times when we know, as we know from listening to Morgan, like in society, there are moments where you don't feel so great and important that we are there for them. But it's important we keep learning and listening and focusing on stats like that. I suppose there have been other very high profile cases of social media platforms. Um, misusing perhaps or not respecting the privacy of of users can you reassure your users your community that this is something that you take very seriously well again it goes back um to what morgan said you know data and understanding your community is a privilege and a responsibility. It's very early on when we were building the business, we made a really intentional effort and and decision not to gather loads of data on on our community. So when you register and you download the app, we take very little information and uh, uh, take very little information from you. Um, And that's really important to us because um, it is. It's a responsibility to have people, that amount of people using your platform every single day, and you have to respect that and, and really uh, value it. And that's something that you don't have a business if you do not. And so for us, absolutely, um, it's a core of everything we do in every element of how we build the product. And what about all of the employees and all of your staff? How do you look after your workers and how important is it to you? I think we kid ourselves if we don't recognise the value of people um, today more than ever. So the first thing we do is we listen. I think the big thing that SNAP talks a lot about is servant leadership. So actually being there for your team, listening to what your team, because then I always say, you know, when you work for a business, you work for for your manager, you're working for the people. And and I think it's really important people who are in manager or leadership roles, we spent a lot of time ensuring they felt they had the support that they were able to support their teams. Morgan, I'll bring you in at that point. I mean, it, it must hearten you to, to hear of leaders out there, you know, like Claire um, and what they do to look after their teams. But in the workplace, what can business leaders who are tuning into this now, what do they really have to be thinking of and be aware of? 
mental illness is the number one cause of disability leave, at least here in America. And I'm sure that that stat isn't much different in the UK. When I think of what I'm hearing about corporations is a huge focus over the last year or two on corporate wellness programs. And these are extremely, extremely helpful. What I still think is is missing oftentimes are programs that focus on people who are dealing with more severe mental illnesses um, to help prevent these people from going on disability leave. Because trust me, as somebody who had to take a month off of work, even when I was at Facebook, for my mental health, nobody ever wants to go on disability leave for their mental illness. I do think that we need training for managers to deal with people with more severe cases, as well as um, support and funding for those employees to be able to access higher quality care. This is a business-focused podcast. All of us are probably type A, hard workers, extremely ambitious, very career-driven. And so the last thing that you want to do is admit that you can't handle the pressure. And that is something that is not true, but at least that was what was in my head when I had to take mental health leave, is I thought, I'm a failure. Everybody else is handling the pressure fine. What's wrong with me? Why can't I cut it? Why am I suffering? And this is a common, common story. And so we need stories of business leaders who've taken that time off for themselves and have come back and they've been, they've been re-accelerated and their careers are on a good path. That's really interesting. And, um, you know, thank you for also sharing that you an experience yourself. I'm just curious, because one thing I have observed in the last two years, and I don't think it's it's people taking this through disability leave, but I have seen um, vulnerability being shown in leadership as more sort of recognised and valued and empathetic leadership. I think they've been seen as far more of a strength than they probably would have been um, prior to the pandemic. I agree with you, Claire. It definitely starts with vulnerable leadership. That's actually brilliant to hear. Having walked the walk, how much better does that make you at being able to design and deliver for everyone? My cover and I started Options MD out of such a tragic place and such a place of heartbreak. But in building our company, we have so much joy um, because we're able to, to help other people. Claire mentioned tracking a metric of happiness, the happiness of her users. At my company at OptionsMD, what we do is we track what we call the hopefulness metric because mental illness robs you of your hope, especially if you have a treatment-resistant mental illness. And so the most important metric for us is even after somebody's first interaction with their software, how much more hopeful do they feel that they actually will be able to find some relief for their mental illness? And I'm so, so, so happy to say that users are four times more likely to feel hopeful that they'll actually get better after using our software just one time. And that's what really keeps us going and keeps a smile on our face. Honestly, it's fascinating talking to you. And if anybody's sitting out there and and thinking about designing something that will help, that actually using technology and innovation for good, as Morgan is so very obviously doing, and indeed Snap is doing. I'm interested in thoughts from both of you on this human-centric 
design? How are you both ensuring that the design of your products have both moral and social good? I think the first thing I would say is actually sticking to those values. Because it's very easy when the business gets pressure to deliver for shareholders or whoever the investors may be, you don't go off course. I think it's it's easy to talk about it in theory, but delivering it in practice is very different. I go back to sort of being proud at, at Snap that we've got dozens of examples where we've made tough decisions. I'm going to give you one because it was very well known and no doubt um, no doubt Morgan will know about it. Um, year, a few years ago, we did a redesign that a lot of people were talking about. And what we did with that redesign before, your content from your friends was sitting within or merged within content from an influencer or a public profile. And we separated that out. And there was lots of coverage, lots of challenges. Oh, Snapchat's um, going to be in trouble. And sometimes it's easier to react, isn't it? And listen, take the and, and, and go back. But fundamentally, we believed it was really important to separate that type of content because we're now seeing that play out in the wider industry where merging content from friends versus more external public type content can cause problems and misinformation so so on can start to happen. And so I think that is a great example of living your values, making a tough decision that actually in the short term had no big business impact. And it wasn't for the good. It was a tough time. But we felt that was the right thing to do for our community, putting people before the business. And that's why I think human centric design is easy to talk about, harder to deliver on. And I think not enough companies actually execute on it. Yeah, we're seeing so much at the minute around influencers and paid ads and paid promotions. And I suppose when you have a whole community out there, everybody wants their product probably to be on Snapchat. So you made that decision. Um, But do people still go on to the influencer platform? We still created an environment for what we call kind of creators or stroking, but it, it was separated out. And I think it's creators have a really important role to play on our platform because that is what society that, you know, people are excited by influences in society. So it was important we created a home for them, but it had to be clear that it was separate to speaking to your close friends. And, and that was the distinction. And Morgan, I'll ask the same question to you, because I'm sure there will be lots of people wanting to throw money at you. Do you hold on to your core values to make sure this aligns with your personal goals and your business goals? OptimismD originally started as just a software company. We wanted to use software to give patients personalized education around better treatment options. We thought that if we could empower them with information, then they'd be able to take that info back to their doctors in order to get better care for themselves. We did a really good job developing that software, but then we were hearing from patients hey, but I can't find a good doctor to take this information to. I am waiting for months to be able to get in with a psychiatrist. And so this information is is less helpful if I don't have anybody who can help me act on it. And so at the top of this year, we made the very difficult decision to also get into the business of care delivery. And that is because we felt like we had a responsibility to our users to not only provide them with information around better performing treatment options, but to actually help them get on those treatments so that they can start feeling better and their symptoms of mental illness could start reducing faster. And so that was so hard. So many investors and advisors 
they said, no, software is such a lucrative business. It's 95% profit margins. Care delivery is so challenging. Um, but it's a decision that we have no, 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 no regrets for. And we know that by doing this, our opportunity to save lives just increased tenfold. Now, this podcast, The Lens, is in partnership with One Young World. And I can't let you leave today without telling everyone about your role as a One Young World ambassador. What does that mean? One Young World changed my life. I went to One Young World in 2017. Um, And One Young World, for anybody who doesn't know, it's this incredible conference that brings together the world's greatest business leaders, politicians, activists, um, as well as young people who are up and coming. When I was there, I heard a speech from a man named Professor Muhammad Yunus. He coined the term social business. And his thesis is that you can do well and do good, that profit and doing well for society Um, are not mutually exclusive. And he has helped thousands of young entrepreneurs um, start social impact businesses. And I would definitely describe Options MD as that, in that the first thing that we solve for is social impact. We truly believe that if we can save lives, that all the money will come and that everybody will be very, very, very happy. Claire, I'd like to talk to you now a little bit about the power of collaboration to, I suppose, protect your users with the information that they're getting on your platform. It's it's such an important point, and we're seeing that challenge in the wider industry. It's interesting, when I was interviewing six years ago, we were building our our content business. It was really the early stages, and I remember talking to, to our head of content at the time, and It was very clear, going back to having those strong values, that we wanted to build a very different um, content environment. And so we took a very different approach. We felt it was really important in a world where content was really just merging and what your friends were consuming was being influenced in terms of what content you were seeing. And we thought it was really important to take a far more, um, I think, grown-up approach, which is what we've learned from um, history in terms of the importance of valuing content. So we partnered with what I would say is world-known content organisations, and I think about the UK, Channel 4 being a prime example, whereby when you go onto the content page um, of Snapchat, all that content is pre-moderated. And it's done by humans and it's all done in conjunction with these partners that we work with. And we've built a business model that equally benefits them too. So it isn't just about focusing, of course, the mis- uh, preventing misinformation is key to our community, but it's also about creating a really strong content ecosystem for partners that they can win too, because then they're going to invest more in creating great content for the platform. So it's a win-win. So we feel really proud of what we've built. And again, you know, we didn't know how society was going to play out, but the fact is, as a result, we don't have the challenge of misinformation on the platform. Of course, there's huge focus at the minute on climate and on the green agenda. Uh, Tell us about SNAP and tell us what it's doing to make a difference to the planet. Clearly a very important agenda and 
technology full stop can do so much when it comes to helping the, the planet and sustainability full stop. But one example I would love to give, if I go back to my shopping habits of loving to buy clothes, and if you think about what I was describing, that I could you know, try on a dress and really get a feel for what it's going to look like on me. Thinking about the biggest challenge that most businesses have in, in the digital space is returns. Now, yes, it would help their bottom line because less returns, but actually, more importantly, the impact that has from a sustainability point of view. So we're really excited, not just because this AR, AR try-on is going to have so much impact on business, but more importantly, on society from a sustainability point of view. I'm sure. Keep the faith. Now, at Business in the Community, we're celebrating 40 years of supporting and challenging people to be good corporate citizens. We really want people to be encouraged to be good digital citizens too. But as leaders, and Claire, if I come to you first of all, what do you feel is your personal responsibility in this digital world? And what are you committed to doing more of or less of going forward? I think in terms of my responsibility, I suppose, as the sort of thought leader in this industry, is really going back to connecting the digital and physical. I think it's really important we do not just focus on separating out uh, and creating this digital world and not linking it back to society. And again, I said it earlier, I feel really strong as a mum, as a second thing, getting older, you care about your own values. And that matters. Like, it really matters that when we're innovating and building products, that it's having a positive force. I think it's really, really important. And I I personally feel responsible. I think the other area, and this is more in my leadership style, um, I think Morgan may be a bit similar. Like she did mention Taipei. I'm going at full speed all the time. And I think I'm realising the pandemic's taught me where I keep kept saying I was like in a blender at full speed between my kids and work. Slowing down, I think, is incredibly important in in a world that's speeding up. And I think as a leader, to make really thoughtful and informed decisions, sometimes you just need to pause and stop. And I think sometimes the natural inclination is to just speed up. So I'm going to promise myself not to do that this year. I hear you. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Um, And Morgan, what are you committed to doing more of or less of going forward? I am committed to listening more. I spent hours every week just personally talking face-to-face or Zoom-to-Zoom with patients that we serve, just listening to their stories, their interactions with the products, and their ideas for new features and what we can do. And we've been just consistently surprised and inspired. So I think what what we're trying to do is listen more and talk less. (laughs) Well, Morgan and Claire, I feel so inspired after listening to you both today. Um, I feel we're in safe hands, definitely, uh, with Snap and hearing about your your wonderful innovation and the, the reasons behind setting up your business, Morgan, has been absolutely enlightening. So I'd like to thank you both, Claire Velotti from Snap and Morgan Hewitt from Options MD. Good luck and thank you so much for joining us on The Lens. Thank you. Thank you.